Is extreme activism counterproductive to the vegan movement? That's the question we're going to be dissecting on today's episode of The Vegan Pod. And thank you for joining us again. For any new listeners, I'm Francine Jordan, the media and PR officer for The Vegan Society. And every month I'm joined by different guests to discuss the latest vegan news stories and debate those top issues. And today we're going to be deep diving into the world of animal activism. Please note, as a registered educational charity, the Vegan Society are not involved in and nor do we condone any illegal activity. Of course, we always want to hear from you, so make sure you're following us on social media, or you can always email any comments and questions to podcast at vegansociety.com. For today's episode, I'm joined by two absolutely fantastic guests, and I'm so excited to talk to them more about this topic. Anna Bradley is the Executive Director at Sentient Media and also a social justice advocate. And Amelia Lees is an editor, podcast host, and author of Think Like a Vegan, What Everyone Can Learn from Vegan Ethics. So a huge, huge welcome and a huge thank you to you both for agreeing to come on to discuss this important issue. Um, and I'm going to jump straight in and get started. How did your vegan journey start? So what is your personal journey to veganism? Um, Anna, if you can kind of explain a bit about that. Sure. And thank you so much for being here. It's great to be in such awesome company. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, So I guess my vegan journey started, I was really quite young. I was six years old. Um, I I never questioned sentience in animals. I never questioned the idea that animals have their own language and their own ways of being. Um, And when I was six, I I remember walking around uh, the centre of Leeds uh, in the UK, where where I'm from, and I saw a, a, a protest going on about vivisection. And obviously, I didn't know what vivisection was. But anyway, there was a big poster of a kitten, and the kitten had you know, all of the classic bolts and things like that in their ears and head and whatnot. And I went home and I'm really lucky that my parents were honest with me because I told them, you know, I saw this kitten, what are they doing to them? And they told me about animal testing, probably a a kind of a kid-friendly version. Uh, And then I I just started to make the connection with that, with the food on the plate. So, you know, I I only remember eating like fish fingers and I remember ham um, and I remember really loving ham and then realizing that it was a pig. And anyway, my my parents were really supportive and they, they let me go vegetarian and they, you know, they knew how to feed me like nice whole food vegetarian stuff. And then it wasn't until later, I kind of went back and forth with being vegetarian and vegan. And I started on a advocate type activist journey. I joined Viva when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11. And I started writing uh, letters to people and saying, you know, stop testing on animals or stop, you know, close down duck farms and all of the things that were happening. They're still happening today. And then I kind of fell out of that area uh, and you know, went into a different zone and I kind of slipped back into vegetarianism. But anyway, it was a very, very, <laughs> it is a complicated question and there's a lot of nuance to it. And I think everybody, you know, all your listeners will will have, you know, yeah. have nuanced stories as well. And I think having, you know, it's, it's all very well and good having the kind of the ethical thing, but if you don't actually know how to feed yourself or how to do it sustainably, um, you, it, it's really, it can be really challenging. So yeah, that's really important. I mean, I just want to like round of applause for your mum and dad, really, because I went to my mum when I was eight and asked to go vegetarian. It was just a no. And it was kind of like no questions asked. And it was only then as I got older and I always stuck, you know, I asked a few times and things like that. Um, so I think it's, you know, really admirable for them to have been so open to it. And 
encouraged you to kind of obviously they could probably tell how important it was to you the fact you were coming home and asking questions and stuff so yeah pat on the back for for mum and dad um you've obviously then gone on to the become the executive director of sentient media which to me after hearing your story is like the the perfect fit um for those who don't know can you just explain what sentient media is yeah, sure. So Sentient Media, we're a non-profit journalism organization, and our goal is to create a credible resource and a credible space for advocates. So we create content, long explainer uh, articles, all based in fact, and presenting the information in a really clear uh, and concise way so that you can share content. Um, we train writers and journalists uh, how to speak about environmental issues and how to speak about animal rights issues and social justice. And we also do a lot of work on, you know, our, our belief is that creating visibility is what's going to help us shift narratives in the media and shift diets. So we do a lot of work with Google. We do a lot of digital uh, services work where we make sure that when people are curious and when they're asking these questions, you know, what is factory farming? What is, you know, where where do they produce the most pork? Like how many animals die every day or every year? That uh, an answer is going to be there for, on the first page of Google for them that's written by a credible resource like Sentient mm. Media or one of our partner organizations. And it goes into the deep into the facts. And, it, it, you know, we essentially want to push out the narratives, the old kind of traditional narratives that I'm sure we'll get into about, you know, the representation of animal activists, the representation of veganism, et cetera. You know, our mission is to be there like and be visible creating um a, a shift in the way that we discuss these topics that is it's such important work it's amazing um emmy do you have a similar journey to veganism were you drawn to um animal stuffed toys what's what's uh, how did you get into the I, movement? I, <laughs> I did love the animal stuffed toys and uh, uh and i think supportive parents uh, on every level are just so important and it's mm-hmm. it's lovely it's lovely to hear how supportive they were of you anna um well for me i i went vegan in the early 90s uh actually but it didn't stick because i had these sort of squishy kind of new agey ideas of what I was about. Um, So it didn't stick. Um, And then in 2013, I was having IVF treatment. And I actually talk about this in the book as well. I was having IVF treatment. And um, I, it just kind of dawned on me one morning when I was running, uh, actually, um, that cows have to give birth just like people and to in order to lactate and um that had not occurred to me despite everything and despite having been on the planet for a long time at that point um it hadn't really occurred to me so then you know here i was getting ivf treatment trying to become a mother and then taking babies away from other mothers and i just found that to be appalling and abhorrent and it struck me so hard i kind of stopped in my tracks and i was like right that's it i get it and it's it's vegan only from now on to the end um and it was pretty much like that overnight that was that wow that's amazing and it's so funny you should mention that because it is something that came up in a previous episode we were talking about raising vegan children and both guests said that since becoming mums there's something in particular about cows and our treatment of 
of cows and taking their calves away that really resonated once they either got pregnant or had a baby or started breastfeeding. Um, so yeah, that is, that's fascinating that that's kind of what, what pulled you in. Um, I'm absolutely obsessed with the title of your book, Think Like a Vegan, (laughs) (laughs) because I just think it's such a good title. Um, what's the book about? So the book is, uh, an, an accessible, sort of a guide to vegan ethics. And it's broken up into essays. So the concepts are sort of laid out, but in an essay form so that they become stories. Mm-hmm. And and people people like stories or people like to be told things in a, in a context rather than, um, you know, just sort of like, well, this is the concept and these are the facts and da-da-da. And so we said, well, how can we make people and vegans more comfortable with talking about ethics and talking about veganism. Um, and, and so we thought, okay, have an essay, uh, essay format. And then we also have another section of the book at the end where we have these scenarios and actually little scenarios are broken up into the book as well, um, where we talk about different situations that one might be in and how one might react. So we provide um, the story, the the scenario, and also possible answer to it. So you can read our answer, think about your own answer, um, and so forth. And all of the scenarios are real. I've either uh, overheard them, been asked them, lived them, um, and and things like that. So, of course, none of the names are real. They're all completely made up, but um, but they're all actual things that that have 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 happened or have heard. And and our goal really was because both Eva and I, uh, the co-author Eva Carolambides. Um, we would always get asked questions like, oh, well, you know, questions on veganism, which is fine. And then when somebody would say, oh, can you explain veganism? The person would say to to turn around and say, oh, ask Emmy or ask Eva. And we wanted to create a tool so that people could be confident in in talking about their veganism and in advocating for so that was the uh, that was the impetus of the book and as well uh, what the book kind of looks like <laughs> it's amazing isn't it like we all I don't know if it's the same for you but I feel since kind of I don't want to say coming out as a vegan but since I made the transition the questions I get now and it's so funny because I'm like no one was that fascinated by what I was eating or doing before <laughs> but once I gave myself that label it was just like I became like a Q and A for the for the vegan movement. Um, I'm not complaining at all. Obviously, I love answering <laughs> people's questions about it. Um, so, people listening are probably now thinking, okay, so these are the two perfect guests for what we're about to discuss um, today. Uh, again, perhaps a really broad question, but what does the word activism actually mean to you? And and how would you explain kind of animal rights activism specifically to someone who's never come across it before? Um, I did have a when I was doing kind of research and things, I came across this definition on the minimalist vegan website. And it says vegan activism is a proactive approach to communicating and acting the idea in which all non-human animals are entitled to the possession of their own lives, uh, which I thought was was really nice. But Anna, what what does animal activism mean to you? Yeah, that's a a really interesting description. And I think this is a really challenging question. And 
it, I was excited when you invited me on for, for this particular topic because I think I come at it probably from a slightly different space of kind of dipping in and out of this and looking at you know how my advocacy manifests itself mm. but I think you know essentially I think it means different things to different people and for sure it's you know it's obviously a loaded term we touched on that before about the way that the media represents activism especially animal rights activism so you know as you said in the intro I I feel that I'm a social justice advocate and I do feel that I'm an animal rights advocate and I believe in empowering others to use their skills uh, to help build a better world for for everyone you know human and non-human so that's kind of where my advocacy manifests itself in creating this space for education providing these credible resources you know if we look at somebody like Ed Winters, you know, Earthling Ed, Mm -hmm. the way that he, you know, manifests his activism is through conversation, through talking, through debate. Like, I definitely couldn't do that because I would just get too, uh, I don't know, I I, 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 I get too frustrated, like even talking, you know, to family members and friends and things like the way I articulate it is just awful. So I (laughs) I know that my strength is more in providing a space for others to be more effective advocates. Um, and activists. But for those, I think, who are uh, new or curious about animal advocacy, I think essentially, you know, you can do anything. Like there are so many different approaches and we need them all because there are so many different people on this planet that we need to convince. So, you know, whether it's PETA or Extinction Rebellion or, the, you know, the Vegan Society, of course, Sentient Media, you know, all of these different groups have, you know, slightly nuanced, slightly different approaches that work for somebody. Um, and I think, you know, for some people it's going on marches, for others, the people that I work with, you know, it's writing, writing op-eds or posting on social media. So, yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a complicated question. It's a complex question. And yeah, I'm interested to see what, what you and um, what Emmy thinks as well. I mean, I think this is it's such a good question and it's something that that um, I, we also talk about in, in the book. And Anna, uh, exactly uh, as you said, there's just so many different um, so many different approaches and, and it's about social justice. Absolutely. When you have that foundation, it just it just opens up everything. It's a key, really. Um, and and activism really it's it's for everyone each one of us is an activist full stop and, and it just manifests in different ways so one of the things that that i i heard um so can i quote angela davis with anybody mind no. um, <laughs> um so i heard a talk that she gave and um she said um she had three suggestions for engaging in activism she said own our talents develop ourselves and that that means not everybody wants to be an organizer. And then the other one was question how we can express our own individuality in the process of pushing forward a collective endeavor. So when it comes to any kind of social movement, any kind of political movement, you have lots of different people and lots of different aspects. So some people are going to be into the organizing And some people are not. Some people are going to be into writing, like Anna, and some people are going to be into talking, and some people are just going to be into existing as themselves, as vegans, bringing their lunch to work every day and, you know, answering questions um, and that sort of thing. So I think it really, you know, I think it really needs to be a term that we look at 
and and Anna, you said this, the way the media portrays it as only being about uh, marches or or whatever other kind of um, event related uh, activism. I think that makes it seem that it's only one thing. And then if you can't do that, then you're not an activist. But I absolutely believe that just merely existing every day as vegan is an act of activism. Mm. So whatever we can do, we should do. And, and, you know, to educate ourselves to do it in the best possible way that we can, or, and to mine the skills that we have, you know, know our talents. So, you know, I like to write, I like to cook. Anna, you like to write and create space for education. You know, all of those things. If you get to know what you're comfortable with and what you can feel, what you feel you can do, and that can change. You know, you could be an artist, you could be a singer and apply those things to expressing the ideas of veganism, to expressing the the, the core values, then, then that's fantastic. Mm, I really like that because I remember when I first went um vegan I was working in an in an office and I was the only vegan in the office and I remember it would just be you know it would start with just conversations over lunch or people asking me about the kind of milk I was having in my drink or whatever and I never at that point if you'd asked me I wouldn't have considered myself an activist but actually based off the fact that we're essentially saying you there's nothing too small that you can do I almost was the 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 vegan activist for that company because you know I might have managed to get 10 people to just think slightly differently about the vegan movement or what they were eating and, and things like that. And that is being an advocate. And precisely. And frankly, you probably were the first vegan they ever met. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, or, or they might have met others, but others might not have said something and so on. So your role in introducing that idea and introducing the concept of veganism, that's huge. Yeah. That is absolutely huge. We should never underestimate that. I just wanted to add that I think that there's this extra layer as well. Like there's communication and empathy, uh, like what you did, Francine, like what you were saying, Emmy, is so important and so uh, integral to activism. But I think that when we, when we talk about activism on a on a different plane, strategy is also really important. So when we think about the behaviour of change on an individual and then on a policy level, um, you know, we need to achieve both of those things to influence each other. So we need to be cognizant of what works and what, uh, you know, and build on that. So it's about, like we've said, like we've, we've all touched on finding what our individual strengths are, like how we communicate this message and, and help create change, but then understanding on a grander level, like what we can do collectively. Uh, mm -hmm. So is it talking about environmental causes that encourages people is it health is it you know documentaries or images or articles things like that so I think that there's this when we talk about activism on a on a kind of on a on a, on a broader scale I think that that strategic element is also really integral as well and I want to pick up on something that you said um a, a few answers ago just because it, it my ears kind of pricked up so I asked about um kind of the definition of animal activism and when you replied you said animal advocacy and I thought that was really nice because there's something about the word advocacy that's 
and I don't know if this is just my interpretation, but it's almost more positive. And, you know, we're talking about portrayal in the media and, and how we're perceived and perhaps negative connotations associated with any kind of activism, not just um, not just animal activism. Is is that an important like is that is there a difference in those two terms? Yeah, I think that's a it's, it's a good question. And it's something that I have considered and I go down, I kind of fall on the side of animal advocacy as something that is, like you say, it kind of feels more open. And it it's almost like this, um, you know, the plant-based label, mm. like when we have this idea, I think, you know, one of the things that we might touch on is about if, um, you know, you automatically become an activist when you go vegan. And so it's like this plant-based idea took away that uh, kind of preconception that to go vegan means you then have to be out on marches. Oh no, it's cool. You just have to be plant-based. It's fine. It's a totally different thing. Mm. So maybe there's this kind of nuance in the language and the way we talk about things that will actually open doors for more people. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel uh, about using advocacy over advocate, uh, over activist? Well, I mean, I think, um, I don't. I I use them interchangeably, really, yeah. because at the end of the day, you're you're doing the same thing. But you you said an important thing, Anna, and and, and you know the the idea uh, that that plant based um, somehow took away, and I I think that that's right because we've stopped. Not we haven't stopped. Let me let me take that back. But there there needs to be a focus on what veganism what veganism is and the ethics surrounding it and what that means. It's not just food. It's a philosophy. It's an ethical. Um, it, it's it's an ethical perspective, um, and it's it, it's a way of life. So it's not just um, it's not just food. And I think that. With as you said, with the plant-based um, idea, um, it has become well. It, it, there's some sort of dilution. Um, although I think it's gotten a lot less. I feel like it's gotten a lot better. Um, there was a moment where it was really kind of impossible, but now it feels um, it feels better. It mm. feels like people, more people are talking about veganism as such, and people are using the word vegan, which I think is really important. So yes, in the term, in the sense that, in the sense that um, advocacy, you, there, there is an inherent, um, you're, you're trying to make a point and you're trying to persuade. Um, but I think with activism, you're doing the same thing. Uh, you are trying, you are trying to persuade. Um, it is perhaps a, a less, um, a, a less precise term for persuasion, because that's not the first thing that comes into your mind. Whereas with advocacy, uh, it is because you're advocating for a particular position. So, yeah, I can I can see that. That's that's yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that when I came into sentient media, I was coming. Obviously, I've been aware of these issues and I've been you know, as a child fighting for animals, etc. But when I came into the this space as an adult, I was kind of shocked by the infighting between, you know, oh, well, should it be plant-based? Should it be vegan? Like there was a lot of 
kind of in, internal debate. And to me, coming at it from the outside, you know, maybe my opinion has shifted, but in, I think uh, my, my feeling was that in order to kind of shift narratives and shift diets, then it's better to focus on how we can create an inclusive space where mm. open conversations about food and animals, can, um, food and animal ethics can be had. And the more that we divide, you know, as a movement, um, and actually the more, you know, internal frictions we have as a movement, the less effective we are at actually getting out of the echo chamber, you know, of, of vegans speaking to vegans and into these situations where we can create real change. So my feeling was like, well, I don't care if you call yourself vegan or plant-based, if you're not eating animals, you know, that's awesome. Or if you're reducing the amount of animals you're eating, that's awesome. So it's, a, it's it, it, yeah, that's, that just kind of came to mind when you were saying that. It's funny that you talk about the infighting because um, Emmy and I kind of discussed this briefly um, over email. You know, the idea of the the good vegan and the bad vegan, or mm-hmm. not being vegan enough. Um, and I think that it, I think that is a thing within the movement itself. Well, yeah, it definitely seemed like that to me when I, uh, you know, when coming at it from the outside in early 2020, and it felt like you know we have a bigger battle on our hands, and let's you know, try and get away from this Mm. conversation of is it animal rights or is it animal welfare and the two can't coexist and all of this stuff. It's like, look, you know, there there is a bigger picture here and and perhaps that's where we should be focusing. Like, how do we get visible and how do we get, uh, encourage people? How do we spark curiosity about, you know, plant-based or vegan or advocacy or activism? Mm. And Emmy, you, you, one thing you said that I, I went away and thought about afterwards, you said, you know, that kind of thing, runs the risk of making veganism about us rather than about what we do, which is kind of exactly what Anna's saying. There's a whole bigger picture, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when we're when we're saying, oh, well, this person isn't vegan enough or that is, you know, that does tend to focus, as, he, as we've talked about before, it tends to focus on the person rather than the ideas and the concepts. And also, we also forget, that, you know, ultimately, the various victims of, of of all of this. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, if somebody says, "Oh, you're not vegan enough." Okay, whatever. They they can they can say that, and I can just go on on my merry way and continue doing what I think what I think is right. I think if I focus on, "Oh, how could you?" and then I become this idea of uh, uh, of defending whatever I've said. Um, but because they've offended me, then it becomes about me more than it becomes about the idea mm. itself. You see, I think I think that's really interesting. And I also I've been thinking about ego a lot lately. And I think when we look at you know leadership, when we look at even you know famous activists in whatever movement, etc., there tends to come to a point where it becomes about them and not about mm. what they're fighting for. And I think that's mm. that when when we when we kind of break apart the idea of ego and the idea of you know how activism and ego can be entwined and can be detrimental to the movement i think that's a yeah that's a really good point that like look we should be talking about the issue not about me or you know you mm-hmm. i think that's yeah that's a really interesting point um i've got a really sweet story um you might have both come across it um before it was um i think it was a few months ago and it was a 5 year old called harry um, who I think he just uh, kept writing letters and going into the shop. Um, and he eventually persuaded a 230-year-old footwear business in the UK called The Golden Boot um, to place an order for its first vegan school shoes. Um, 
uh, Harry's obviously um, raised vegan. And I just, that to me was just such a nice story. A, because he's only five years old, um, which I just think is incredible. And it will be amazing to see kind of where he goes from here. Um, But also in terms of kind of activism, if people are thinking, oh, an activist is someone who goes to protests and sit-ins and hunger strikes and and blockades and stuff. But actually you've got a five-year-old convincing a a really well-established shoe business to have a vegan school shoe that's to me a really that's a form of activism but it's also really inspiring absolutely it's it's adorable and imagine the conversations that the child can spark from that Hmm. and the conversations that the parents can spark from that and and all the advocacy that can come from that when they're talking with their friends and their colleagues and and their neighbors and other people who go to that school say, hey, look, there there are alternatives. Oh, why do you need an alternative? Mm. Oh, because we don't use animals. Really? You don't use animals. What is that all about? And then boom, they have a they have they've created that space and that moment to have a discussion that maybe some people have never have never had or have been wondering about or whatever the case may be. I think that's yeah. amazing. I think I think with all products, that's the biggest draw for me. And all products is really the opportunities that they give you to to be an advocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any um, kind of activism stories that you've heard of? that have inspired you either in the past or, or more recently? Oof, gosh. No, I, I mean, I think the the best stories for me is always when I hear people like, oh, I read this thing or I heard this person or I read uh, our, your book and it's inspired me and, and things like that, mm. that I find, you know, people who people who you don't even know are listening or watching or reading. And then they come out of nowhere and say, Hey, that really affected me. Mm. That always, that brings home to me so much about uh, even how we interact on the internet and uh, you know, how we interact even in just in real life. You know, there are people listening and there are people watching and there are people considering what you're what you're saying and I think that's that is really powerful yeah that's uh, yeah that's it's really true that it can just be anyone that even you know you just get a tweet that says oh reading this article has made me cut out you know cow's milk or whatever and for me this uh, documentary we had quite recently the BBC Panorama documentary oh wow yeah yeah which uh, yeah if you haven't seen it then you should definitely well actually I to, I'm gonna hold my hands up I couldn't actually watch it same <laughs> I found it so with the next day we got loads of kind of requests from journalists asking I was like you know what did we think of it and I I'm not actually sure that anyone at the vegan society sat through the whole thing because it was that harrowing but I think it's something we absolutely have to tell people to watch yeah absolutely I think if you consume cow's milk then you should definitely watch it because you need to know what's happening and Mm -hmm. you know we we covered the story that a lot of people you know saw this serious cruelty and this suffering on the British dairy farms and a lot of people 
decided to ditch dairy as a result. And sure, they might not have gone vegan or they might not call themselves plant-based or whatever. But I find that really inspiring because it just shows, you know, the power it shows the power of the media in creating this education, creating this um, diet change. And I think, again, you know, to uh, hammer it home, if we do manage to shift narratives about the use of animals in this mainstream media way, like the, that documentary did, then we can encourage more and more people to start thinking about reducing and, and, and changing what it is that they're consuming. So in your opinion, what is the main factor that gets someone involved in, in animal rights activism? Like I'm a really big fan of documentaries and I always share um, the, the links afterwards with vegan and non-vegan friends. Um, do you think it, it is documentaries? Do you think it's like a particular interaction yeah, I think there are so many, again, you know, it's this so many different ways because there are so many different people. There's something that's going to, you know, kind of tick somebody's box. It mm-hmm. could be different for everybody. But I think, you know, you can have a look at, um, have you heard of Faunalytics? They're a really great resource for information around, you know, effective advocacy. So they do a lot of research around, you know, what is it that sparks change? Um, and so does Rethink Priorities as well. And I think, you know, from the research that I've seen, health is a really huge motivator for shifting uh, to a plant-based diet. And now we're seeing more and more, I think we might have touched on this earlier, but we're seeing more and more a shift towards plant-based food for the environment. So, you know, the IPCC reports come out, we have to change our food system, we have to reduce the amount of meat we're consuming, and it's becoming really hard to argue against that message that mm. actually you know eating meat is destroying the planet um so i think that that that's also starting to become a, a convincing factor for a lot of people no i was going to say there's yes lots of different avenues um that that people become interested in but my concern always is with um with things that are external to animals um, that often it just becomes, well, I can solve that problem by eating chicken. I can solve that problem by um, not thinking about it. I, and I, you know, I can solve that problem by buying um, organic, uh, fair trade, whatever, milk, uh, dairy milk and things like that. And, and that, that, that also, that always um, concerns me because um, I see that. I see that a lot uh, where people just shift their uh, their demand. And I've done a lot of research in how people, in, in what actual demand there is in terms of uh, animal products. Um, and the demand is absolutely there and demand is absolutely overwhelming. Even with our having so many different plant plant um, milks and plant products and so forth, the demand shift just is not there for for all the reasons. People make tiny little concessions, but the thing is, it's so interwoven in everything that that we do every day that um, these little shifts are are minuscule in terms of the magnitude of the number of animals that are used every year. But, and the other concern that I have with respect to um, graphic images is consent. Um, We don't have the consent of, and we cannot get consent uh, from animals to show them in the most horrific uh, and and degrading and humiliating moments of their lives. Um, And, and and I totally understand that sometimes points need to be made and so on and so forth. And I completely accept that. And that is a method and that is um, effective for some people. I, I am not um, 
I'm not lessening that, but I think that there needs to be a, a more of a conversation also about uh, about consent and, and what we're doing rather than taking it for granted, rather than saying, well, I'm doing this because X, Y, Z. We wouldn't do that in a human context with exceptions, with exceptions. I, I know about that, but we wouldn't do that in a human context, but yet we do it in an animal context. So, so when we see bad treatment, then we're not really talking about the the fundamental question about use and whether we should be using animals at all. We always saying, well, we can treat them better. And somebody says, oh, well, uh, you know, this is a terrible dairy farm, whereas, you know, this dairy farm is really nice. And these animals are treated really well for the five minutes, essentially, that they're alive and then they're slaughtered anyway. So but they but there that continuation isn't there, that that continuation of, well, yeah, we'll treat them nice, but we'll kill them anyway at five, um, you, you know, and and I, I want to see more of that. Um, and I want the conversation. Basically, I want the conversation to be expanded, to talk about all the things, to talk about all the different aspects of of what we're doing. And it, it all plays into the environment and it plays into health and it plays into um, food apartheid and how uh, communities in the global south will be affected by um, climate change and climate disasters and who are already being affected by that. So all of those things, I, I just... Yeah, I mean, really, my thing is talk more, talk about everything and and really shine a light on these fundamental pieces of our society globally that we live with every single day. Yeah, I, I just to add on to that, I think you're absolutely right that neglecting the ethical argument is not gonna, you know, like you say, people are gonna say, oh, well, we feed the cows seaweed or, you know, whatever yeah, it is that they do for a greenwashing, <laughs> yeah. uh, they yeah. have VR headsets and all of that stuff. And you're absolutely yeah. right. But, you know, the work that we've been doing at Sentient Media is focusing on increasing the visibility around the use around. Absolutely. Yeah, exploitation. But one of the things that we've noticed, you know, we've worked on a lot of pitches. We've worked with, you know, in our collective, we have about 500 writers. In the last couple of years, we've helped like hone and create and uh, yeah, send out hundreds of different pitches to non-vegan media outlets. And the, the one kind of resounding thing that we realize is essentially outside of, you know, us and our, you know, vegan communities, nobody actually really cares about animals. So when we're pitching out ideas that are, you know, centering animals quite overtly, then these are the ones that just get rejected time and time again. You know, we're firmly in this minority. So for us from this angle of like, well, step one could be to focus on these intersections like climate crisis, workers' rights, you know, health, pandemic, starvation, all of these ways that we get to encourage people to think differently about what we consider to be food and the way we use animals. But then on top of that, we need this extra layer, you're absolutely right, that does consider this ethical component of sentience of the, the lives of animals, like you say, consent from animals to be included in, in this whole uh, conversation. So uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that hopefully, you know, the work that you're doing and, and other people, other um, advocates in the space are bringing this ethical angle, the sentience institute, etc. Like, combined you know combining all of these efforts and all of these um you know ideas and 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 the work that we're doing complements 
um, this conversation and hopefully pushes it forward. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to, you have to crack that door somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, And and my my only concern, well, actually, historically speaking, so people didn't used to care about women at all. Mm -hmm. So, so anytime you talked about, about, you know, and we're talking pre-vote, pre-suffrage and and so forth, you know, people just didn't want to really talk about why women needed any kind of equality. So that, that argument wasn't, put in terms of of women, but put in terms of other things. We would never think about doing that now. We would always say, well, you know, this is an issue that concerns women or and and, and whatever. And and you wouldn't you wouldn't you know you sort of wouldn't pivot it in terms of men. Um, even though men benefit just as much as everyone benefits from having a place where everyone is treated equally. But in any event, but yes, it, you know, uh, the reality of media, and you know it really well, Anna, the reality of media is they're fickle and they will like what they like. And if it's something that's too difficult um, and it, or it's not, um, it's not trendy, it's not the, the hot, cute thing to talk about, um, they're, they're just not going to, um, they're not going to talk about it. Um, but I do appreciate uh, that, that indeed, I think that the, um, the discussion is changing and the discussion is going towards being um, inclusive of, uh, uh, of the, of the ethics and of the fundamental principles. Um, so, and I hope that that, that continues. Absolutely. Cause it is, it's a multifaceted conversation that needs to be had. It's interesting that you mentioned kind of trendy because I see firsthand, obviously, uh, journalist requests and media requests yeah. into the to the inbox at the Vegan Society, and the focus at the moment is very much on kind of unusual or like highly anticipated launches of vegan products, mm. uh, like a vegan version of a product that we've never had. And it's funny because that that is the focus, and obviously, we always say yes to these interviews because for us, it's a good way, as you say, it's like a you know a crack in the door to then within that interview, we've got you know a space to perhaps talk about you know back to animals and we always try and bring everything we do back back to animals but I find it so interesting that there's so much excitement around vegan products when there's loads of research that shows people that go vegan for the animals are more likely to stick it out than someone who you know does it for health or does you know does it for the environment um so I think it's interesting that kind of all three of us are focused on that idea that we just need to like hone it back into to to what we're all kind of really really here for um it that flows on nicely actually to the to the next um thing I wanted to bring up um which is kind of more extreme activism and it's not just something that we see in the vegan movement um obviously I think last year the majority of headlines were dominated by um insulate Britain blocking roads and and things like that um there were uh I, I, I don't know how many vegans it was, but there were vegan activists who blocked kind of thousands of McDonald's suppliers um, demanding that it, the restaurant chain kind of adopts a fully vegan menu by 2025. Since then, we know that it's come out with the, the McPlant. Um, and although the McPlant would have been kind of in the works for a few years, do you think that stories like that show that that kind of drastic action can work and it can get companies to to change their ways 
Um, yeah, I think I think so. I think that if the media coverage is there when these you know actions are, are happening, that can start to apply a bit of pressure. We know that one of the great roles of the media is applying uh, pressure to policymakers by mm-hmm. creating this um, you know kind of critical point where they need to actually start implementing some changes. But again, as we've already discussed, the way that uh, activists are portrayed as extremists, uh, mm. it means that we're kind of, we're not necessarily reaping all of the benefits that we could be. And to me, whenever it just, I, I can't talk about extreme animal rights activism without, you know, pointing out that it takes what is it, 40 calories fed to a cow to get one calorie back as meat, you know, over oh, like gosh. almost 80% of soy is actually fed to farmed animals. Uh, less than 5% is used for tofu and things like yep. that. Meat. Yeah. At the same time, yep. I just I can't let that slide without you know flagging that I mean that the soy argument without fail I can almost guarantee if I go on to a to do an interview that will just be a oh while you're here can we just ask you about soy and I'm like yes you can because I can prove all your arguments wrong (laughs) yeah I think that's um that's a hard one are there other um kind of any other examples of of things labeled as like extreme activism that have actually been really um you know uh kind of life-changing actually you you know and i'm just going to be very local about it um so apparently from what what i've read um the uh owner and chef at gautier he was um influenced by a protest that occurred in his restaurant before he was vegan and before it went vegan. Um, So that actually uh, had a very local, but had a a local in the sense of it's in London. So um, obviously, you know, the the restaurant's there, Um, but it it did actually have an impact on him, which which then he turned into his, uh, his restaurant serving only vegan food, which is pretty amazing Mm. um, overall, because it was a very, it is still a very um, uh, posh, fancy restaurant, however, however you want to, however you want to term it. But I think one of the things that, that we focus on so much, because we live in a capitalist world, is products. Um, But we try to solve problems that capitalism has created with capitalism, which doesn't really work. It just creates more stuff Mm. and stuff is fine. I mean, we, we all love stuff. This is the world we live in. I'm not saying, you know, that we're wrong or doing something bad. It is what it is. Um, but let's remember that that corporations they will look at trends they will look and see what people are interested to spend money on um but ultimately it's it, it's a, a new um, stream of income that they're looking for. Uh, yeah. and, and I mean, and I've been a corporate finance lawyer for 20 years. Um, so I'm quite familiar with how corporates work. They need to make money. That That is their raison d'etre. They make money for their shareholders, for their owners and so forth. So if they can find a new revenue stream and that revenue stream is based in plant foods, then hooray, they will do that. I mean, 
you know, McDonald's serves an overwhelming amount of non-vegan food mm-hmm. in, in this foray into a, a new space. And arguably, you could say they're late to the game um, because everybody else has had a vegan option for a much longer time. So that is actually an interesting an interesting little wrinkle that they've seen other people and they're like, oh, actually, look at the profit margin on these things. That's pretty big. And it gives us all the other benefits of being able to say, oh, look, we're doing this and a bit of greenwashing and a bit actually of potentially some beneficial things for the company itself. So again, super cool that these things are happening. At the end of the day, the numbers of animals being killed on an annual basis is continuing to increase. Yeah. And I think let's not also forget the subsidy structure and the fact that the meat and dairy totally. is the only industry to, well, I, I don't know if they're the only industry, but anyway, but they, they were one of the only industries that really raised their profits during COVID because of all of the bailouts, even though, you know, obviously we know that many of the animals that were destined for the slaughterhouse ended up, uh, you know, being uh, depopulated and all of these wonderful terms to you know, d- describe yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how they're actually killing these animals. Yeah, no, no doubt. The, the subsidies, uh, the political structure of subsidies with respect to animal agriculture is extraordinary. Mm. Um, and uh, learning about that and reading about it, which I do almost every day, um, is is just, it's always it never ceases to amaze me. Mm. I don't know. I know if it's the same for you, but you know, you you know it and you know what the stats are, you know what the numbers are. And then you're still like, wow. Exactly. And I think there's an interesting opportunity in that as well, because I think that actually ethical vegans and farmers have so much more in common than we, you know, allow for, like these are all victims but we're all victims of this opaque industry driven, um, but you know, an industry driven by increasing margins and keeping product costs down. And yeah, I, I think that this, um, you know, finding this common ground with other groups who are being exploited by this, by these industries is, um, is also an interesting area to explore. That is such a great point. Absolutely. Completely agree. I think as well, um, for me, it's, it's always interesting how, activists are portrayed um in the media and I know we keep coming back to this point but I just think sometimes the the people accusing them of being extreme or militant or defense whatever it is the the negative word they used to describe it I I just think we need to remember these activists probably don't want to be out there looking at these horrific things it's probably extremely draining I imagine it's very difficult I mean you know Anna and I both said we couldn't even sit through the the panorama documentary because it honestly was that heartbreaking um and so i think sometimes we need to remember that these people are doing it for the greater cause they're they're making huge sacrifices um and it and it can't be easy do you think you know like what do you think keeps them going when they experience setbacks or misunderstanding from others is it just they're just so passionate about the the end goal yeah, I think it's it's really it's a really difficult space to work in, and I'm working in a space where I'm you know sat at my computer most of the time, and that's you know where my um, advocacy takes its form. But you know, people on my team who are used to be undercover investigators, some people who I know really well and really admire, who are still you know undercover investigators, the the things that they have to do on a day to day basis, like you know, I think that some for some people 
it's just in their in their genes or something and they can just handle it but for yeah. a, a lot of people who um end up doing you know trying to do undercover investigations and then realizing like look this is just not something that's sustainable for me it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about finding your space and finding you know your your talent and then understanding how that fits within this you know within our collective mission and i think that you know, advocating for animals, it can, you know, be very demoralizing. And I think for, from a media point of view, when things like COVID and now we have avian flu taking over in the States and it's in Europe as well, like these these moments where we think, right, this is our moment. We can, mm. you know, harness this news trend. We can really do something about it. And then people still don't reassess the way that we use animals. I think, you know, I, I guess ultimately find, find the space that you're comfortable in and remember to find common ground, like what we were just saying about farmers and ethical vegans, you know, remember that there's ultimately we all want the same thing as a species, mm-hmm. you know, most of us, we want to live safely and happily and live a life, you know, free from suffering. And I think if we start to kind of think, you know, and reassess the things that we do have in common, that can be helpful. But I also think, you know, at the end of the day, that's not always realistic. So for me, I guess one of my uh, you know, happy spaces would be volunteering with actual animals, with rescue animals, uh, or getting out into nature and taking time offline and things like that. And I think for some people who just keep going relentlessly and and, and never stop, like there is usually a breaking point and there mm-hmm. is usually a moment where they do have to stop. And I think if you can preempt that, if you realize, you know, you're you're going, you know, too hard at it right now and you, you know, you, sh- you should probably just put the brakes on and and you know restore yourself because you're not going to be able to advocate for the animals if you're you know so drained and and demoralized um but you know find what it is that kind of you know resets you and and and, you know uh, helps you be a better advocate yeah there's a quote I really like that's you know you can't pour from a cup that's empty you know you have to look after yourself and make sure that you're you're feeling your best and able to, uh, in order to be able to be a a, be a good advocate um Emmy what what do you think about kind of how they keep going. Well, I think a lot of times they think, well, you know, I may be feeling whatever I'm feeling, but ultimately the animals are losing their lives. So that I find even for me, and and I I don't do that type of advocacy, um, that's what keeps me going. That's mm-hmm. what keeps me going when I get smarty pants remarks from people <laughs> like um, recently think like a vegan. Oh, that's an oxymoron. Uh, so, you know, coming up with a reply to that or, you know, when I get when you get into conversations with your family and it's not so easy. And I know people who have partners who aren't vegan and it's difficult for them and all the various things or or young people who whose families aren't supportive of uh, their going vegan. And what keeps them going, what keeps all of us going is focusing on, look, at the end of the day, I go to sleep in a bed if we're fortunate enough to do that. And I'm alive to see the next day, whereas animals by the trillions are not every Mm. year. And, And ultimately shifting the focus from ourselves to something greater I think that is uh, that is important and that is something that advocates and and activists of all types of from all spheres um, have to hold on to um, and I think that's uh 
ultimately the fuel that keeps you going. But of course, always look after yourself. Yeah, so we always put um, questions to um, our followers on social media uh, before every podcast episode. Um, So we asked, is extreme activism counterproductive to the vegan movement? Um, And Domi on Instagram um, said extreme activism absolutely does put people off being vegan. As silly as it is, it gives them an excuse not to go vegan and gets people talking about your tactics, not your message. People aren't going to go vegan just because you changed at charged at them in Nando's it puts them on the defensive it's basic human psychology there needs to be an element of meaningful conversation uh, such as in the cube of truth demos um I just thought that was that was interesting um we've obviously talked about kind of the both the pros and cons of of activism but do we run the risk of putting people off going vegan because they have the wrong impression of the movement um or they feel like in order to go vegan, they have to be involved in 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 something more extreme. I know we've talked about kind of there's a there's definitely a scale, but um, what do you think? Is there any risk at all that we're we're actually putting people off the movement? Well, you know, most people aren't vegan. Ninety nine point nine percent of the planet isn't vegan already. So if somebody's going to be put off, well, they're going to be put off anyway. And if that's your thing, and if that's your kind of activism that you want to do, well, then that's what you want to do. If we say, no, you shouldn't be doing that, we're wasting our own time. Um, Is it effective? For some people, yes. For some people, no. Um, Should... You know, should we have more conversations? We talked about this. Yes, absolutely. Do we need this, that, that and the other thing? Yep, all of it. So, you know, you what you want to do the activism, you want to do the extreme, whatever, however you want to call it, knock yourself out. And then, you know, think about all the other things that, that are possible as well. So I th- again, as as we've as we've talked about throughout this whole thing, expand the conversation. It's it's about all the things. Anna, what do you think? Yeah, I would just agree. Um, hands down, that's 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 that covers it all off. Like you, yeah, <laughs> I, I have nothing that I can um, add to that. That's a perfect answer. Um, so we'll end on a on a positive note. What are some um, kind of if someone listening to this is is feeling inspired, whether they're vegan or or not vegan, but they they want to do more. Um, aside from kind of having those conversations that I'm sure we all do with our friends and family, what are some you know kind of what I would call everyday forms of activism that people can take part in? Um, so for me, it was joining the vegan society and doing more kind of media work and blog posts and sharing documentaries and things like that. But what would what would your advice be for someone wanting to find out more? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of everyday activism, like you have to remember that every time, you, whether you're vegan or not, every time you choose a plant-based meal or forward an article, like you were saying, you do fancy or a documentary, uh, you know, you're doing something. That is the definition of, of everyday activism. And I'd say one really effective and pretty easy piece of everyday activism is on social media. You know, if you hold media outlets accountable, you know, when they report on issues that should center animal ag, you know, so if you see a climate, uh, you know, crisis report and they don't talk about you know the animal agriculture industry then you could tweet at them and be like hey you missed something you missed you know the the whole agricultural sector <laughs> you know um so i think you know twitter and and uh, social media is a really great uh, way to do everyday activism but um yeah i would just encourage anybody who's out there who's curious about using social media or writing um you know writing op-eds things like that to check out sentient media 
org and to apply to join our writers collective which is free to join like so we've got over 500 people in there at the moment we're in over 30 different countries we're really carving out um, a niche for people in countries where there isn't much representation uh, for these types of conversations so yeah i think you know yeah pick up pick up a, a plant-based meal and um, <laughs> find out your niches and, and yeah feel good about it absolutely i think that's great I mean, you know, I'm going to say, if you don't want to do social media, if you don't want to do the internet, you don't have to talk to people that are around you if you can. Um, even if you're if you're saying, hey, you know, let's meet up for a whatever, meet up at a vegan place, meet up at a place that that has um, amazing vegan food, and you can you can show that off. Have the conversation with your friends, or create the space to have that conversation uh, and and read lots of books listen and listen to podcasts listen to this podcast um, I'm going to just give a little plug to my podcast the second episode is just recently out um, and it's called think like a vegan the podcast it's available everywhere and um, think about what you want to do think about what is the thing that you're most comfortable doing? And start with that as your yeah. everyday activism and start with that. And then take a look around and see what, what else there is there is to do. And and that way you start, you start not, I don't want to say start slow, but you start to discover what you're most comfortable with and and what you can then expand into if you want to. Amazing. Anna Bradley is the executive director at Sentient Media and a social justice advocate. Mia Lillies is author of Think Like a Vegan, what everyone can learn from vegan ethics. A massive, massive thank you to you both. Um, and of course, thank you to those listening. I feel like we could have a whole other hour on this uh, topic. Um, to join the conversation or share any thoughts and feelings about what was discussed today, make sure to follow us on Twitter at The Vegan Society, Instagram at The Original Vegan Society, and on Facebook. You can also email us at podcast at vegan society dot com um, and before you go where can people find you both on social media so we're sentientmedia.org i'm anna bradley without the vowels in the surname a-n-a-b-r-d-l-y on twitter um, but yeah just head to sentientmedia.org um, this has been fantastic, by the way. Really delightful to talk with you both. So me, you can find me at Emmy's Good Eating on pretty much all social media or just find Think Like a Vegan at the website, thinklikeavegan.com and also on uh, social media, Instagram and, and Twitter, Facebook, that sort of thing. Perfect. I'll be back with another episode soon. But remember, if you've liked what you've heard so far, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. 